Hello, Jack. Hey, Zach. What's going on, man? Not much. Just excited, as always, to record a hand with you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Uh, so we're doing a listener hand today, right? Yeah, actually kind of going back in the archives. This was the second hand we ever received. Um, and we just haven't had a chance to do it, so here goes. And for all you listeners uh, listening in, um, when we first started the show, we kind of had an influx of listener hands and probably got close to 30 total, which was much appreciated. But in the last two months, it's kind of uh, worn off and we've maybe only got a few hands. So, you know, feel free to write in. And if we don't feature your hand on the podcast, we promise to write you back with a detailed response. And we're always looking for, you know, new listener hands. So uh, keep writing in when the spirit moves you. Okay, so this listener wrote a very detailed description. So thank you for that. Uh, this is about the relevant players in the hand. Hand goes to the flop five ways, but there's only one villain. He's very splashy and likes to hop on any sign of weakness. He's also incredibly proud of his super, super aggro style indicated by his seabedding in the dark whenever he's the preflop opener. Awesome. <laughs> uh, three hands into my session, he made this play in a heads-up pot with me. I had aces in the big blind, and he raised in the cutoff to 15. Uh, our hero made it 40, and we saw a flop of king-10-9 rainbow. Hero led 45 and was called. The turn was a 10. Hero checks. Villain bets 50. Hero calls. River was a 9. The hero checked, and he bet 150. And uh, the hero ended up making the call, and the villain had jack-8 offsuit. So, yeah. I think So this is a player who C-bets in the dark when he's the preflop opener, who's really splashy, really aggressive, um, has no problem, you know, firing multiple barrels, even a big river bluff of 150, um, you know, with kind of a missed, a missed draw and is happy to call three bets in position with jacket offsuit without particularly deep stacks. So definitely a player we want at the table and yeah, thank you for the, the good, good description. So the effective stacks are about $550 and it's a one, three game. So our hero is under the gun plus one with ace queen of clubs under the gun limps, uh, you know, loose player, no notable reads, and our hero makes it seventeen. I think this is a pretty standard opening size. Um, then middle position um, calls the cutoff calls, and that's our villain. The button calls, and then the under, under the gun closes the action um, and calls. So we have about 80 after the rate going to the flop. Jack, anything you want to add? Uh, no, I mean, I, th- I think since we've already sort of pointed out the main villain in the hand, it- it's, it's, I guess, notable that he hasn't three bet, I think. I wish that we'd gotten a little bit more information about this player's pre-flop tendencies. Uh, we know he's very aggressive. We know he see th- bets in the dark. But we don't know that much about his three betting, and we don't know a ton about his calling range. I mean, I, I think we can assume that he's fairly wide, uh, and assume that he three bets uh, of all premium hands, and you know maybe even a little bit wider than that. But I do think that you know, villain seems to know a decent amount about this player. So I, I guess I would have appreciated maybe a slightly more detailed and specific player description. Yeah, I would imagine a player like this could easily have a fairly light three betting range, especially when it goes limp, raise, call, and they're in the cutoff. 
Yeah. But maybe not. So, yeah, good. Good for mentioning that, Jack. Um, so the flop is the king of hearts, eight of spades, three of spades, and our hero holds the ace queen of clubs. Under the gun checks, and hero writes, it's not a great flop to continue on out of position, so he checks to give up, and it checks through. I think this is pretty standard. Uh, you know, you have not no pair, but you're against four other players, basically no value in c-bet bluffing, uh, and you're, you know, rarely, rarely ahead here. So I think pretty standard check. Jack? Yeah, the uh, the nitpicky part of me doesn't want to say there's no value in c-betting because I think you could fold out some middle pair hands that you'd be happy to fold out. But I, I also think that it's a really bad spot to c-bet into this many people holding uh, a decent equity hand that almost always only folds out worse and likely won't take down the pot. And will, you know, it's just a bad c-bet. Cool. So the turn is the nine of hearts, and that puts uh, two flush draws out there. Uh, so we got hearts and spades under the gun checks. And hero writes, I could value target all the draws, but not five ways, so I check. And I, I really like this because I think like in a heads-up pod, especially against the button, uh, or against the cutoff, who's the main villain. Um, well, actually, actually not against this villain because this villain's going to bet most of their draws but against kind of like a standard loose passive villain if i was heads up and let's say uh was called called in the cutoff and then it went heads up to the flop and it goes check check um i would bet this turn to value target all the draws um so i think it's good for to kind of think that like hey you know we don't have a pair but we can still value bet because there's so many draws that will give us action so I like I like the thought, and I also like not following through with it in this specific scenario when it's five ways. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's true that you could get value from draws, but I, I also think you're not repping much, so you're likely to get called down pretty light. And I think more thinking players will think that this is a good time to raise with a draw, which puts you in a tough spot. I mean, if you're sure they're only raising with draws, then maybe it's not so tough, but... I don't think you can necessarily be sure of that from all seats. So, yeah, I, I just think that this is a good check. Yeah. So, middle position checks, and now our friend in the cutoff, the main villain, bets 50 into 80. Um, the button and under the gun fold. And Hero writes, I believe he would have bet any pair on the flop except maybe fours through sixes, and even sometimes I think he leads those one check to. With so many draws out there, I decided to float, even though I probably would fold here in retrospect, since only... Um, the Ace of Diamonds and the Queen of Diamonds improves my hand cleanly. Uh, I think it's definitely true to realize that like the problem with floating with a hand like this is that there's two flush cards out there, and it would be very difficult to call a bet on those runouts. At the same time, you've identified that you have a hyper aggressive villain who you know is willing to bluff three streets, make big river bets. So I actually think check calling the turn and check calling basically any river is going to be profitable against this player because let's say they had hearts and a spade comes, well, they're not going to check back and vice versa, even though I think they're betting a lot of their spade draws when check two in second to last position on the flop. Um, so the turn's a nine, so they could be betting any 10 jack, any six, seven, um, you know, gut shots as well, potentially especially the on the higher end, like 10-queen, jack-queen. 
So if we think when they get to the river with a hand with no shot on value, that they're going to bluff a really high percentage of the time, which all indications say they will, I think we actually have a pretty profitable check call, even on, you know, scary cards. Uh, and I'd personally be more inclined to actually fold on like an offsuit Jack, Queen, six or seven than any of like the scare cards because that hits hits their range uh, more strongly and they might not think they'll be able to get us to fold like a one pair hand on that type of run out. Well, I, I'll start with the last the last thing you said. Uh, I mean, I think that uh, on like a Jack River where villain leads again, or well, not the, leads again, yeah. but if we check and he bets... Uh, I mean, unless you think this villain is going to turn a jack into a bluff, I, I think it's still a pretty comfortable call. Yeah, I agree. I'm just saying it's. I, I feel more comfortable calling like a spade or a heart. Well, I, I, that's another thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah. I think a, a heart is actually a much worse card for us than a spade based on this player description, the fact that it checked him the first time. If he had a spade draw... And he would he would bet it on this turn. I'm not saying it's impossible that he could check a spade draw on the flop and then bet it on the turn. But I think based on this player description, it's likely he would have bet that spade draw on the flop uh, and very likely that he would bet a turned hard draw. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I think we actually maybe we could fold to a heart on the, on the river just because, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I think a heart is probably the worst card for us, uh, especially if it's a heart. Uh, I mean, especially because a lot of hearts that would pair, you know, like the jack of hearts is a terrible, terrible card for us. Yeah. Uh, because now a lot of the missed straight draws that decided to bluff and represent hearts uh, are also beating us. So, yeah, I think that River hearts are probably we're folding to, and others, uh, depending on sizing, we're probably calling. Uh, but and I agree that this is a call, and I also wanted to just say, thinking that we would, the what the comment about folding here in retrospect, since only the ace and queen improve our hand cleanly. Uh, I don't think this is a call where we're necessarily calling because we think that. I just don't think it's that marginal that we would need the potential equity of improving our hand to call. Uh, and if it is, then I just think that we need to sort of reevaluate this whole decision. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed on all, all points. Okay. So the river is the eight of clubs and we have 180 in the pot. And just to recap, the flop was king of hearts, eight of spades, three of spades. And the turn was the nine of hearts. So both flush draws bricked, all the straight draws bricked and uh, third pair paired. And Hero writes, if I'm going to turn the note pair nuts into a bluff catcher, I think this card is Jin. Um, and I, I think that's correct. Uh, this is probably one of the best cards in the deck we can hope for. Uh, because I think this villain is firing many eights on the flop. Um, so Hero checks and villain fires 100 into 180. And, you know, given given the analysis so far, this seems like a pretty straightforward call. And Hero you know, agrees and makes the call. Yeah. I think that like, there are so few hands that we should be worried about, you know, eights 
uh, heart aids, you know, makes sense, but it's a pretty slim portion of the range. All the draws brick. Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's a clear call. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of the value of playing against like a kind of a bad lag like this is that they really show their their hand face up, especially there's a lot of players like this who will play the way this villain does and then value but too small with their value hands. And then you can really just kind of know exactly what they have all the time. Uh, because like a player like this is just so frequently betting the flop with any draw they have and has such a wide range that when this runout happens, like it's it's just a very easy check call over two streets. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to add to that that, you know, not only are they betting out draws on the flop, but they're also betting, you know, so many value hands. Uh, yeah, so their range is just essentially all draws on the turn with some nines and some like very occasional weird slow plays. But then when the eight pairs, a player like this is rarely going to be value betting a nine. Um, so when the player bets a hundred, it's just, you know, I think you're good. Such a high percentage of the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, four people, I, I think like we have a tendency to be unbalanced because we're taking exploitative lines uh, and I think the the lesson to learn from this player here is that if you're gonna semi bluff the turn and a good player calls you, don't barrel the river because you're yeah. just so unbalanced. And it's okay to be unbalanced if it's for exploitative reasons for like the rest of the table. But just realize when you have to give up in a spot like this. I mean, I think that clearly this, you know, I mean. Who knows? You could have an eight. We don't. We don't have the results yet. But this player almost certainly should be giving up with all of his draws. I mean, th- to think that we're saying that ace queen is such a such a clear call here that you know it just really means that he should be checking to give up with all of his draws. Yeah, something I wanted to add that I forgot about on the flop is that the reason this is a slam dunk kind of call. In, oh, kind of sorry, call in the turn is that uh, once the hero checks in middle position um, and the under-the-gun player check a second time and then the button under-the-gun fold after the bet, you're not worried about someone else having a low pair that they can call down with. I think this hand becomes a lot more difficult to play if, let's say, you know, you check back in position with ace-queen and you're on the button and then it checks to the villain who bets 50. Yeah, so everyone checked a second time but um rarely are people leading out with eights and nines here um you know the first three players in the field and they will be calling and they and they're ahead of you so the reason that ace queen uh is a clear call is because you're essentially closing the action um you know middle position can occasionally have an eight or nine but you're less worried about it where if you had i think even a second player left behind even if they check twice to the cutoff like let's say you had a middle position and a hijack before the cutoff and the cutoff bets and it's around to you, then I think it might even be able to be a fold. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that, that sort of concept is outlined really well uh, in some of the books we have. We have a post uh, just for people who have forgotten or are new to the show about books. We really highly recommend it's on our site, just handspoker.com. Anyway, some of those books, I I can't remember which one. I think it's the Ed Miller uh, 
Poker's 1%, talks about how your responsibility for defending uh, is smaller the closer you are following the player in multi-way pots. So, for example, if you're the first person to be defending a player's bet in a four-way pot, you have a much smaller responsibility to defend uh, than the player who would be the last person to defend. So, yeah, I think in this this spot we can... And, it, I mean, the, the specific reasons for this hand are clear. You know, we're less worried about being, you know, someone else calling with an eight or a nine. But it just sort of... Uh, this is a good illustration of that point, that if you close the action, you can defend a lot wider, and you should defend a lot wider. That's that's a more sort of GTO-balanced approach, uh, but I, I think that it's good to keep in mind. Yeah, no, Poker's 1% is a really, really good book, and in my opinion, the best introduction to, you know, thinking about game theory and thinking about frequencies and how it applies to your game uh, that there is. Agreed. Uh, so... So, Jack, I have some results for you. The villain has 6-7 offsuit, and this is where the submission gets kind of interesting. Um, and after the hero calls, villain says, yeah, okay, your jacks are good. Um, and then the hero tables ace-queen, and he says, huh, ace-queen, you're really thirsty, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. Uh, and then everyone starts offering congrats and saying, that's an amazing call. Uh, but then this guy racks up and leaves immediately. So the question listener writes is, do you think it's ever okay to take a slightly minus EV line in order to preserve action? No fish wants to know you're capable of looking them up with ace high when they're dead set in maintaining their table image cap, table captain image. So do you think it's ever okay to take a slightly minus EV line in order to preserve action? Uh, I think the answer to that is definitely yes in select scenarios, although not in as many as most people think. But the the big point here is calling down on the turn river is not a slightly minus like not calling down on the turn river is not a slightly minus EV action. It's like a majorly, majorly minus EV action when we've kind of gone through the hand and established how unbalanced this player is. So I think there's something to be said for like occasionally when the situation warrants it, but not enough not enough as you probably think to whoever's listening, uh it's okay to take a slightly minus EV uh line, but I think this is just not one of them. And I think it's very easy to fall into the trap of like sacrificing EV now for like the promise of EV in the future when you have no guarantee this player is going to stay for any amount of time. Uh, and you, you know, don't know what taking, like what giving up EV in the short term is going to do or if it will give you more EV in the future. So I, I tend to not make plays like that unless it's with like a, a really fishy player that I have a lot of his, history with. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you're right on to say that, sure, there are situations where you can sacrifice a little bit of EV uh, to maintain high EV situations. You know, I think one example that comes to mind would be a home game. Uh, you know, if if you're in a really gambly home game and at the end of the night they want to flip for $20, I mean, sure, it's even EV, but you might want to dodge the variance, but you should just do it, you know, if it's a good game. Or offer and, to up the stakes because it's even EV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I that that might not be me, but That's definitely me. That's, 
Well, you know, whatever floats your boat. I mean, but what I would say is, yeah, this this is not a situation I would do that. And also, the thing to consider is like, if you calling him with ace queen, if this player is so fragile in their ego that that's just going to sort of dissuade them from ever playing poker again, then it's not worth, you know bypassing this situation because something else is going to happen that's going to dissuade this person from playing poker very soon after yeah (laughs) yeah you know i mean for 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 losing players especially players who know they're losing players and maybe this this person is not a losing player and in which case i'm sure they'll be back but maybe this person is a losing player and sort of there's the equation of like how much fun or sort of satisfaction do i get from playing poker versus how much money i'm losing and uh you know if it's if it's that close, then I I just if it's that close to this player that the amount of fun they're having is not worth getting called by you with Ace Queen, then I would just call because it's not worth keeping them in the game because they're probably going to leave anyway. Uh so so one more thing that the listener writes in is in retrospect, the thought crossed my mind that I could min raise in this spot, and while maybe folding out his small pocket pairs, I could also avoid tabling the Ace High call. Um, yeah. I mean, I think for the reasons described, we shouldn't be min-raising in this spot. Uh, the occasional... This person never has small pocket pairs here, and the occasional times they have, like, you know, a hand that's beating us, we're just throwing away $100 kind of needlessly. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say, like, I think it's a good thought. If we could say that this player never has a hand that will call us and is beating us, uh, then I think... It is a good opportunity to spare that player from some embarrassment. I think that we can't say that in this situation, and it's going to be very, very rare where we will ever be able to confidently say that. Yeah. But I, I think that's that's sort of a nice, gracious thought, honestly. Uh, I, I think the other thing is that the table... It's, it's sort of a complicated situation, but I think that probably the most important thing you can do is if there's someone in the game that you like having them in the game, just be friendly to them. And try and maintain a friendly, positive table environment. Of course, when you make this call and everybody is celebrating your call and congratulating you, it's just sort of a tough situation because you want this player to stay and you don't want them to feel bad. But then again, you don't want to... It's just it's sort of an impossible situation. But when you can't control it, uh, you know, do try and befriend these players. And like, if you were friendly with this guy and you snapped him off... Then when he says, like, oh, you're thirsty, huh? And you're like, yeah, man, I know you're full of shit. And, you know, sort of a friendly camaraderie type thing. And that player's a lot less likely to sort of tilt and leave. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, for any of you that have played with me at the tables um, or listened to the podcast enough to kind of know how I describe my image, like, it's very rare that I'm going to, like, kind of piss a player off to this point, you know? I mean, most of the time people... Not- pl- what? Well, that's not true, but some people, there's nothing you can do. Some people don't want you to be friendly. Some people are just sad. Yeah. But, but anyway. You know what yeah, I mean. I like, know what you mean in this situation, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, most of the players I play with think I'm a big loser in the game anyways <laughs> uh, and want me to stay, but, I mean, I, I think Jack really nailed it. Like, just genuinely be a friendly person, and if you're not kind of, like, naturally outgoing or, you know, talkative then just, you know, make a sincere effort to do so, you know, especially with a with a player like this, you know, like if, if 
some if I called someone down here like and the listener did it right like he he wrote in that he kept his headphones in and didn't like get really happy or kind of engage in the celebration the way the rest of the table did i think there's a big difference in like the the player that bet here's mind is if you like snap call table your hand and kind of just act like you're a boss you know for your own ego versus like taking the time you know taking 20 seconds for his ego or something and tabling the hand and when he says oh you're thirsty be like can't full days high here something to the effect of that um you know, I, I think that just gets received a lot better. And I've definitely played with a lot of, you know, younger, better players, whether they're, you know, break even, slightly losing, or, you know, semi pros and pros, who will often kind of like make hero calls and just like table their hand instantly kind of for their for their ego and, and just do things to kind of self validate themselves, which, you know, correctly rubs a lot of players the wrong way. So I think avoiding. Avoiding that type of behavior is the first step, and then the next is just being a friendly person uh, at the table, and I don't think you'll really have any problems with this in the future. And like Jack said, yeah, there are some players that I that I piss off, but it's the type of player who, if they get stacked in a given spot, are going to be pissed off no matter who's doing it and what the atmosphere is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, just just to give another, like, a a different perspective, like... A couple of weeks ago, I like hero called a guy in a sort of similar spot uh, with just like an ace high, and I t- I took a little bit to think about it just to like make sure and not to be rude. And he he was directly on my right, and we ended up uh, you know becoming good friends. I sent him a link to the show, and you know he's a really good guy. So I hope he's listening. Uh, if you are. <laughs> If he is, you know who you are. Uh, but yeah, it, it can that kind of call can actually lead to a really nice, positive situation. Someone might be curious, you know, why'd you call me? You might not want to share, but it can be a nice icebreaker to hear a call someone. Yeah, and then you could start, you know, evaluating thinly and isolating this player. And yeah, I mean, th- the more friendly you are with a player, generally the looser they're going to play against you. And as a result, they're going to make, you know, bigger and more frequent mistakes. So, yeah, thanks for writing in. I think this was a interesting hand and also some interesting questions, uh, kind of just about how to conduct yourself at the table. And I think in this spot, you, you hand to whoever's listening because you didn't write your name in, um, to whoever... Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, and to whoever wrote this in because you didn't write your name in. <laughs> um, you know, I think you handled this as well as you could. You didn't celebrate with the rest of the table and he happened to bluff you twice and you made two good hero calls uh, and you got to do it and don't feel bad about it, but you're asking the right questions because yeah, trying to keep players like this in the game is, is definitely good. All right. Cool. Yeah. Hi all Jack here. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Zach and I have both been traveling, so not a whole lot to update. But remember, you can always head to the website and send us your hands. Uh, check out what's up on the blog. Uh, a lot of good stuff still there, uh, still relevant, especially to new listeners who aren't as familiar with what we've written and talked about so far. Uh, also, some information about exciting opportunities coming up. Uh, all that can be found on our website, just handspoker.com. 
All right, thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.